This past week, I've been thinking about a song. It's been going through my head, and we just happened to sing it today, uh, Banner. And every time we sing that song, um, man, I, I'm overwhelmed. The thought being this, that I don't know what kind of problems, what kind of uh, issues you're dealing with life right now, but when we were singing that song, along with the other songs, of course, but didn't you sense that God got really big, huh? As he, you know, as he was standing before you and as you were singing, God, you're our banner. Um, I don't know, man. God got big, the problems got small. And that's the important thing in life, that we daily uh, meet with the Lord so he gets big, he stays big, <laughs> he can't get any bigger. But unfortunately, man, uh, stuff we carry in life, we, it tends to shrink him in our perspective, which isn't true, but it's a perspective. And that's why it's important to stay in God's word and keep God where he needs to be. Big, all-powerful. Nothing is impossible with him. And so we, we put our trust in him. We are continuing in our study in the book of Philippians. And we're, we're, there's a breakthrough today, by the way. We're, we're in a new chapter. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, that's pretty exciting. So well, yeah, we want to encourage you to have your Bibles. You should have your outline sitting near you. If you're watching online, you could pull it up on the church webpage or the church Facebook page and, uh, and follow along. Uh, man, it is so, so cool to be able to teach from the Bible. You know why? Because it's true. It's true. Man, uh, it is so good. And uh, in our world, man, in our world today, there's a lot of deception, there's a lot of lying going on, and uh, that's why to keep our bearing and our balance in life, we need to stay in God's Word, for sure. That's where we find encouragement and truth, because God cannot lie. And I tell you what, I sure like to base my life on that, you know? Instead of, I hope so, I'm crossing my fingers, uh, maybe, maybe not. No, man, it's true. So today, uh, we get to do that. Wednesday, we start a new series, What Makes You Happy? And I, I just want to mention that because um, today, uh, the topic is joy tested. Your joy, my joy is going to be tested in this world. And it's very possible your joy has been vacuumed out of your life because of life. And you wonder, man, where where'd my joy go? Your joy is going to be tested. And today we're going to learn how we deal with that when, when it's being tested. And so um, uh, Andy Stanley's going to answer that, what makes you happy, and we know... Um, mm, Joy is so much better. So it's, it's relevant for our talk today, and Wednesday night we'll be dealing with that as well. So, yeah. Hey, we were here Wednesday, 
And in the midst of the tornado warning, I think there was one, right? Somewhere. Uh, we still had a great time. So just give me a heads up. The doors are open, right? You can talk to me, man. Yeah, man. Hey, we're going to go back in history this morning, um, back to 1962. Some of you may not have been alive back then. Some of you may have. Uh, one thing I do remember during the Cuban Missile Crises, uh, we were told to get under our desks because that would save you from an atomic bomb. Remember that? Yeah, man. That, that, they were serious about it. The man, climbing under your desk will protect you. Great hope for the future. And so well, you went through that exercise, I think, well, at least once a week, all kinds of stuff. And for those of you uh, alive at that time, you know there was a lot of tension in the world. Um, Russia was threatening, and uh, man, we were threatening, and, and so on. And so disaster was as close as the press of a red button. Here's the deal. During that time, four Russian submarines were patrolling off the Florida coast. U.S. warships were dropping death charges, and those are 55-gallon drums that are filled with explosives. And the Russian captain was stressed, of course. He was trigger-happy and ready to destroy a few American cities. Each sub was armed with a nuclear warhead, but uh, in the midst of those four subs, there was a Russian, Vasily Arkhipov, who was 36 years old. He just happened to be the chief of staff for those, uh, the fleet of Russian submarines. And the crew members, uh, when they left their country, they thought they were going to be going to a training mission off the Siberian coast. But once they, uh, they left the homeland, they were... Learned, they learned that they were commissioned to travel 5,000 miles to the southwest to uh, set up a spearhead for the base at and near Havana, Cuba. The subs went south, and <laughs> so did their mission. Man, they, they had all kinds of problems. And in order to move quickly, the subs traveled on the surface of the water instead of underneath. And by doing that, they read... They ran head into the Hurricane Daisy. Yeah, 50-foot waves, man, and you're on, you're on top of the ocean. You can imagine, uh, you ever get seasick? Huh? I, I, I've been, in, I've been on, on the ocean in, in, a, uh, in a vehicle, a boat, <laughs> and there were no 50-foot waves, man, but there were waves, and I got sick, you know, as did everybody else with me. It's not fun. We could take a vote right now. We could say, no, that's not fun. We'd all be, be unanimous, I'm sure. So 50-foot waves, man, I left the men sick. And the operating systems were compromised because of those waves. And then came the warm waters. Um, Soviet subs were designed for polar waters, cold, cold water, not the tropical Atlantic. And so the temperatures inside those subs exceeded 120 degrees Fahrenheit. I think all of us would say that's hot. That's hot. And where are you going to go? 
<laughs> you can't bail out in a sub. And so, man, the, the crews, they battled the heat, claustrophobia for much of the three-week journey. And by the time they were near the coast of Cuba, the men were exhausted. They were on edge. Man, you can imagine. And then the situation even became worse when the subs received a cryptic instructions from Moscow that they were to turn north and patrol the coastline of Florida. And soon after entering American waters, their radar picked up a signal of a dozen American ships and aircraft. The Russians were being followed by the Americans. The U.S. ships set off depth charges. The Russians assumed that they were under attack. The captain of the Russian subs lost his cool. He summoned his staff into the command post and began pounding the table with his fists. We're going to blast them now, he said. We will die and we will sink them all, but we will not disgrace our Navy. So you know where his head was. The world was teetering on, an edge, on the edge of war for sure, but then... Vasily Arkhipov asked to have a moment alone with the captain. So the two men stepped to the side. Vasily urged the superior to reconsider. Don't push the button, he said. He said, I'm suggesting that we talk to the Americans before reacting. The captain listened. His blood pressure went down, and he gave the order for the subs to surface. Well, the Americans encircled the Russians, and they began following them under surveillance. And what the Americans intended to do was very unclear. And so in the dark of night, after a couple of days, the Soviets dove, eluded the Americans, and they made their way back to Russia safely. You kind of think maybe the Americans let them dive and get away. But this incredible brush with death was kept sacred for decades. Arkhipov deserved a medal. He lived the rest of his life with no recognition. It wasn't until 2002 that the public learned of the barely avoided catastrophe. And as the director of the National Security Archive stated, the lesson from this event is that a guy named Vasily Arkhipov saved the world. Why are we talking about the Cuban Missile Crisis? Why are we talking about four Russian subs and American battleships and aircraft? What's that all about? Well, here's the deal. You and I are not going to spend three weeks in a sweltering Russian sub. We're not. That's for sure. But we will face challenging days just like those men did in those four subs, pressure, crises, maybe challenging days, weeks, months in this world. You'll be tempted to press the button and release the nuclear warheads that you have control over. Angry outbursts, the rash of accusations, retaliation for those that maybe hurt you. You know, we, we live that way, don't we? On the edge. <laughs> <I> <laughs> I was going through a roundabout Friday, 
in Mount Horeb. Surprise, surprise. I mean, we have more than anywhere else in the world. Uh, and the dude in front of me, he, I, I don't know if that was his first time at a roundabout, you know. He just decided to go on break, you know. And he just sat there, and everybody else is going around and around. I'm sitting behind him, and, 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 and so finally I honked. What would you do? I mean, it was a nice honk. You know, it wasn't real long, and it, was, it, it wasn't harsh. It was just a quick, you know. And he looked in his mirror, and he gave me a signal. You know? He was an older dude, man. And I thought, the guy's ready to push a button, isn't he? Yeah, the red button. He's had it. And it's just a reminder where you and I are living in this world today. A lot of us are ready to push that red button because we've about had it, right? Yeah, we can't take it anymore, we think. And so when we go to the Apostle Paul, and as he's under house arrest and chained to a praetorium guard, eight inch, 18 inches away, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, life would kind of, should I hit the red button, Paul's thinking, you know. But he chose not to. He made a decision. And in those decisions that he made, he modeled to you and to me how we should live our lives, and we're in the 120-degree sweltering Russian submarine where everything inside of us is screaming to get out, to retaliate, to make a difference. And so Jesus did tell us in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble, didn't he? <laughs> this is not a perfect environment, but he says, take heart because I've overcome the world. That's, that's a good word of encouragement. It's kind of like banner that we sang just moments ago. Just good. It's good to be reminded. And we think about how many disasters were avoided by the Apostle Paul, because when you track his life post-religion, and when he put his faith in Jesus Christ in a personal relationship, man, he was hunted down like a dog, and yet he refused to push the button, didn't he? In Philippians 3.1, he says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Man, that is a great verse. I, it's, it's a great verse. <laughs> it's good. It's encouraging. Paul was able to rejoice no matter what kind of suffering. I and mean, we know, we know he suffered big time, because he knew and he trusted his God. He had a personal relationship with him. And when life goes well for people who don't know the Lord, they feel elated. You know, that's, just, that's the best they can do. But when the hard times come, uh, they may sink into depression. Because true joy enables you and I to transcend the rolling waves of life's circumstances. And we know those are rolling waves of circumstances. Joy comes from having a consistent relationship with Jesus Christ, friend. And that's where we need to land this morning. 
those of you watching online and those of you in this room. We need to commit to that. We need to purpose that. Because we know that the joy of knowing Jesus Christ kept Paul level-headed through the tough times. It's like Arkhipov in that submarine. He was level-headed, the only one. But it kept a world from going to war. And Paul, even though he was under house arrest, he knew he could rejoice because why? God was with him. God is with you. We sang about that. Emmanuel, God is with you today. So let's go to Philippians 3. We'll read three verses today. We'll repeat verse 1. Everybody have your Bible? Here I'm opening Philippians 3, chapter 1. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out! For those dogs, I'm just using a little emotion there because that's how I think how Paul would respond. You know, watch out. It's not a passive statement. It's it's a warning. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. And we put no confidence in human effort. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And we thank you for the opportunity we have to talk about it, teach it, relay it to our personal lives, Lord. Man, we need you, Lord. We need you so much. And um, again, it's so cool to be together and sing and tell you how great you are because you are and to see the greatness of you God because you are great and how you an amazing God you're personally involved in each one of our lives and we thank you for that and help us Lord right now as we talk about your word may your Holy Spirit breathe life on it Man, we need life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, modeling joy. <clears throat> Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. A Christian possesses joy that the world does not understand. They don't know it. But I'll tell you this, to have true joy the only way to get it is by having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's, that's it. Paul recognized that. The Christian life should be filled with unspeakable joy that surpasses anything that the world can throw at you. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, he was a Welsh preacher years ago, put it this way, God's people are meant to be people who are always rejoicing in the Lord. How's that working out for you today? <laughs> so, so, so when we were putting this together, the song came to me. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Christmas is, on, you know, four months away. So you might as well get warmed up for it. Right? But here it is. The reason we can have joy 
in a world that's collapsing all around us is because Jesus came. Not only did he come, the son of God, but he fulfilled the mission of going to the cross to pay for your sin and my sin in full. I had a death sentence on my life, eternity away from a holy God. And Jesus came, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Joy to the world. Even in the midst, man, even the world back then. Man, the Roman Empire was pounding people. It was tough. It was a tough world to live in. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Should we sing it? Who's going to help me here? To the world. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world! Yeah, joy! It's not phony baloney, man. It's the real deal. The joy that God plants inside of his children in the midst of chaos and trouble. Man, in the midst of being in a submarine 120 degrees Fahrenheit, man. Joy to the world. True joy, joy is not dependent on circumstances. And that's where you and I, and we tend to get into trouble. Circumstances dictate whether I'm going to be joyful or not. Paul is telling us, no, don't let that happen. Authentic joy comes from having that personal relationship with the Lord. Jesus came in to my life, radically changed me. And you know what? He never put a finished sign out in front and say, I'm done with you. No, he still got a construction sign in the front end of me. And that is so cool, man. Living for him for decades, and yet he doesn't get tired of working on me. To feel the very hands of God that knit me together in my mother's womb. Those same hands are still working on me. How cool is that? Amen. When he's changing us into his very image, that makes me full of joy. Man, the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. Real joy comes from knowing Jesus Christ and letting him work in your life. Man, don't, don't say God's done with me. He's not done with you. He loves to work in and through you. Sub point one, joy pursued, verse 1a, whatever happens, whatever happens, man, my dear brothers and sisters. Notice Paul is writing to the church, my brothers and sisters. He's not writing to non-believers. And it's a clear reference to the church in Philippi, this young church. They've been brought into the family of God. The supernatural joy, again, is experienced only by those who have a relationship with Christ. That word rejoice, Paul chooses, means to rejoice. 
It means to be glad. It means to be joyful, full of joy. And when you go into the original Greek, it literally means go on constantly rejoicing or be continually rejoicing. Mm -hmm. Whatever happens, I like that, Paul says, whatever happens. In other words, if everything's going your way, be joyful. No, he doesn't say that. He says, whatever happens. Can I ask you, whatever, whatever, happened, whatever is happening in your life right now, just put it on the table. God sees it. He knows what you're going through. Whatever happens, the good, the bad, the ugly of life, whatever happens, Paul says, I've experienced whatever happens. We should circle that. Whatever happens. Whatever happens. Rejoice in the Lord. The voice of the martyrs tell of a guy in Laos. Gote went to a visiting, he visited a neighboring province in Laos where he heard about the gospel, heard the good news of Christ. He was so impacted by it, he went back to his home, got his wife who was severely sick and his son and brought him back to hear the message of Christ. When they did, their entire family placed their faith in Christ and Gate's wife was completely healed. When Gate's Parents and the head of the village heard about their new Christian faith. They demanded that they renounce Jesus or leave the village. Gate and his wife stood firm, even as new believers, man. They would not be shaken. They stood firm in their faith. And so Gate's parents kicked him out of the house where they and their son had been living with no place to live. Gate started building a home a mile away. He owned some land there farmland, and when the village leader found out what he was doing, he threatened to have Gate arrested if he didn't stop construction. Well, despite the hardships, Gate's faith, his family, has not wavered. They have kept their joy through it all. Voice of the Martyrs writes, Gate is not scared and is willing to face any persecution. Gate sees that the Lord is real and that his power healed his wife. Gate is strong in his faith. That's a good word of encouragement for us. Are any of you losing your house? Anybody threaten your family, kick you out of your house because of your faith in Jesus lately? Hmm? They've kept their joy through it all. And as we look at our lives, we can put it on the table and say, how is this comparing to the early church, what they went through? And are we growing more joyful in our walk with the Lord or not? We need to make a choice. Philippians 4.11, Paul tells us that being joyful, actually we have to learn that response. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Paul is, is saying to us that we need to learn this response. We need to train ourselves. In fact, when you look at the word learned in the Greek, it means to learn by patience or experience, to acquire a habit. 
acquiring a habit. I will remain joyful no matter what. Whatever happens, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Number two, joy dispersed, verse 1b. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And Paul is writing, even in the midst of some difficult moments in his personal life, that we can rejoice because we have the joy of the Lord that transcends any of life's circumstances. The Lord is camping out on the inside. He doesn't bail out when life gets tough. We sang it this morning, for you are with me, right? For you are with me. And so Paul, once again, pulling into this letter to the church at Philippi, he's talking about, hey, complaining, uh, about your circumstances will not create an atmosphere of joy in your life. Because earlier he wrote in chapter 2, verse 14, he says, do everything without complaining and arguing. Good point, don't you think? How many of you can be joyful when you're arguing with somebody? And when you're complaining about whatever you're going through, complain and argue. Can you be joyful, yes or no? No, you can't. It sucks the joy right out of you. And so Paul is saying, hey, do not complain, do not argue to maintain your joy. And he's not talking about rejoicing your circumstances. That's not what Paul's talking about, you know. He's not talking about people will, will uh, you become dependent on people for your joy. No, he's not talking about that either. He is saying by having a relationship with Jesus Christ, you rejoice in the Lord. It's a byproduct. It's automatic. It should be automatic of having that personal relationship with him. And so joy is really a spiritual checkpoint. So we can ask the question, is God still on the throne? <laughs> Check, right? He still is. Yes. Am I a child of God? <laughs> yes, I am. Yes. See? Just a simple checkpoint. Stop, think. Because... All that produces my response, okay, then I'm going to be joyful. Because God's still on the throne, because I'm a child of God, boom. I will choose to be joyful. Yeah, rejoice in the Lord. Here's something to think about. God does not command what he does not make possible. Some of you might be thinking, oh, you don't know my situation. Is there any PS down here anywhere? You know, except when this and this and this happens. No, no, no. God will never command something that he does not make possible. Rejoice in the Lord, whatever happens. It's a good word, don't you think? Yeah. So why, why is Paul writing to the church about pursuing a life of joy? Why? What's the point? Because here it is, being joyful is necessary to be like Jesus. That's why. You might say, I don't feel like it. I want to be joyful. You want to be like Jesus? Well, hopefully the answer would be yes, I do. I, I do. I want to be more like him. Well, in John 15, 11, this is what Jesus says. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. It's not your joy. It's his joy. 
His joy, yes, your joy will overflow. Yeah. That's why. To be like Christ requires you and I to be full of joy. So here's the good question. Where do we get this joy to rejoice? Paul answers it in the Lord. <laughs> you don't go to Walmart, man. You don't go to Amazon.com and find joy. It's not going to be there. Paul is saying it's in the Lord. It's in that relationship with Christ. True joy is a gift from God, and only he can give it. Psalm 4-7, you have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests. Psalm 16-11, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Is that enough? There's a bunch more. In fact, Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, oh yeah, joy. <laughs> yeah, the Holy Spirit produces that fruit. Number three, are you ready to move on? <laughs> Number three, joy protected. Here, this is big, man. Verse 1c, and I do it to safeguard your faith. What is Paul talking about? Rejoice in the Lord. And I'm telling I never get tired of telling you this because why? Because joy needs to be protected. I think all of us would say, yes, that is true. Joy is under assault in our culture today. There's many things that threaten our, the joy in believers. Paul says, I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Martin Luther put it this way years ago, I preach about justification by faith. In other words, when we put our faith in Christ, we're justified. We're just as if I had never sinned in the eyes of God. I preach about justification by faith every week because every week my people forget it's a good point, don't we? Uh -huh. We do forget. Safeguard, it means protection against falling, suffering, great injury. Paul is saying rejoicing in the Lord, it's a safeguard against the lures of life that would suck the joy out of your relationship with Christ. Man, it's like an anchor by rejoicing in the Lord. Nehemiah 8.10, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. There's a song. Isn't there a song? We will sing it today. Let's sing joy to the world again. No, we won't do that. No. But there's a lot of songs, man. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And we know that joy in or from the Lord, it's inherently strengthening, that joy. First Chronicles 16.27 David had just brought the ark to Jerusalem, and he's giving thanks. And this is what he says, honor and majesty surround him. Strength and joy fill his dwelling. Strength and joy fill his dwelling. And Paul understands that there are ways, troubles of life, that can ambush our faith. Paul lived it. He saw it. He saw People who had faith in Christ become bitter and angry at life. 
and they became casualties along the road of life. Too many people today, too many Christians live their lives by their feelings. They, 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 I've got the gospel goosebumps. You know, and they think something profound is going on. Listen, you don't live by gospel goosebumps. It's cool. It's cool when they show up, but you, you can't be sustained by that for the rest of your life. It's just not going to happen. Right? And because so many people, Christians, are living by their feelings, they put their feelings out front. And they're waiting for somebody to hurt their feelings so they can become offended. That's big. That's big in the Christian community today. Not at Life Church, but in the Christian community. And their feelings, go ahead, hurt me. <gasps> hurt me. And somebody says something, somebody does something, your feelings get hurt, and what happens? You no longer what? become angry, bitter. You hurt my feelings. I'm leaving. Case in point, there's a pastor in Florida who tells a story about a woman who used to attend his church with her family, and while they attended, the pastor said the family made great progress spiritually. And their, their faith grew, their, their family relationships were healed. But then somebody in the church made a comment that the woman found offensive, prompting her to pull her family out of church. The pastor pleaded with her to forgive the individual, but she seemed determined to make a big issue whereby she could be offended. Years later, the pastor happened to bump into her, had a conversation with her, and this is what he said. She looked worn out. As delicately as possible, I tried to remind her that they enjoyed their best days while they were in church. But she immediately started talking about the woman who had spoken those unkind words to her. She seemed obsessed with the incident even after a long time. And what's worse, she seemed blind to what she and her family had lost. Being offended, friend, Paul is saying you want to protect yourself against being offended? Maintain joy in the Lord. Be joyful no matter what. Your feelings are going to get hurt. We live in a broken world. This may sound a little crass, but get over it. Really. If you're a man, if you're a woman, you've got backbone. And Paul had seen this over and over in the church where people got offended and they bailed out. And their, and their faith was shipwrecked because of it. Paul is saying, I've got an antidote again for that, for being hurt, for being offended. Maintain a relationship where you're rejoicing in the Lord. And I'm telling you, it'll roll off your back. That's a good place to be, right? Yeah. Don't be offended. Let's, don't be offended. In fact, 
I had to pull this out of my closet. Where's the drummer? It doesn't matter. Remember? It doesn't matter. What does it matter? Well, let's, let's go back to Philippians 1. It's a quick review of Paul writing, talking about being resilient in your faith. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful to me. Could Paul be offended right here? Absolutely. They call themselves Christians, man, and they're hurting me. They're trying to destroy my ministry. Life isn't fair. Where is God? God, Paul could have got ticked off, man, and offended. But he made a decision. You know why? Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He says, verse 18, but that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So Paul says, I rejoice. I will not be offended. I will rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. Man, that's almost like we should march around this room right now. I will rejoice and I will always rejoice. Can, can friends watching online here today, can, can you say, I choose not to be offended? Huh? Can you say that? I, I, today, today, I'm marking it down. Man, I am going to choose not to be offended. Why? Because I am going to maintain a life of rejoicing in the Lord. That's what matters. About the kingdom of God, that's what matters. My feelings, my feelings come and go. You can hurt my feelings. You can walk on my heart. It's okay. Really. But I want Christ to be promoted through it all. That's what Paul's saying. So, is that good? Yeah, man, it doesn't matter. Right? It doesn't matter. So Paul is addressing protecting your faith, guarding, safeguarding your faith. Because he's seen a lot of people with wounds bail out on God. They become casualties. And um, I tell you what, man, it's liberating. It really is liberating to live your life where you choose not to be offended. It really is. You know why? Because somebody may say something to you. You know what you do? You just extend grace to them. They must be going through a hard day. They must be going through something tough right now, the, the way they responded or the way they didn't respond. I'm going to extend grace to them. Why am I going to do that? Because God extended grace to me freely over and over again. How many times have I messed up and God didn't go hit the red button? Right? He never does that. He extends grace to me, for which I am so grateful. And that's where, as a follower of Jesus, modeling his character, we can extend it freely. Because I want to be like Jesus, don't you? Yes. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Psychologists verified this fact when they 
studied the impact of combat on soldiers during World War II. They determined after 60 days of continuous combat where ground troops became emotionally dead. They were just dead, wiped out. Soldiers enduring the constant threat of bomb blitzes, machine guns, sniper fire, the anxiety that these ground troops carried, it was really no surprise. But when you compared fighter pilots, their mortality rate was one of the highest in combat. In fact, 50% of them were killed in action. Yet dogfighters loved their work. An astounding 93% of them claimed to be happy in their assignments, even though the odds of survival were 50-50. What made the difference? The pilots had the hands, their hands on the controls of the plane. They controlled their destiny. They sat in the cockpit. They felt their fate was theirs to determine. That made the difference. Infantry men... G.I. Joes, by contrast, could just easily be killed standing still or running away. They felt helpless. And because of that, here's the deal. Perceived control creates calm, joy. Lack of control gives birth to fear. And here, we don't need to start a war to prove this. Researchers even said that they found that a traffic jam increases your chances of a heart attack threefold. That would do it, right? That would do it, man. Yeah. Gridlock, <laughs> it's, it's the loss of control. It is, man. So what do we do? We control everything we can't. We can't. Rather than seeking complete control, here, here's Paul's secret. You relinquish it. Why? Because it doesn't matter. You can't run the world, but you can entrust it to God. You can trust God. You can commit all of the crises that this world is going through. God, I, it doesn't make sense to me. I'm committing it to you. Rather than rehearsing the chaos in the world through your mind before you go to sleep at night, rejoice in God's sovereignty. Yeah, God, you're big. You're great. You're powerful. You're still on the throne. It stabilizes your soul. Proverbs 21.30, no human wisdom or understanding or plan can stand against the Lord. Hebrews 1.3, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. What does that tell you? God is in control. I'm not in control. I'm good with God in control, aren't you? That's where we maintain that joy, man. God is in control. I'm not. <laughs> Joy, joy is within reach, man. Not for lack of problems, but because the presence of the Lord is there. Yeah. Paul believed it when he wrote Philippians 2.9, Therefore God elevated him, Jesus, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. Whew. He's above it all. And even, verse 13, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Man. Yesterday, I was reading in Isaiah 44. That was my Bible reading plan, place for the day. And 
I tell you, man, when I, when I read that, chapter 44, I just, once again, listen to verse 24. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer and your Creator. I am the Lord who made all things. I alone stretched out the heavens. Who was with me when I made the earth? I was reading that, and I just kind of paused, and I said, Lord, you are big. You are powerful. You created everything, and Lord, I am so grateful. And then you take, see how cool it is to read the Bible? Man, God speaks, and he shows us his greatness. And then last night, looking in my backyard, no, I had to look up, up. The stars, man, the moon. God created a good reminder. He's sovereign. He's in control. I'm not. My life is in his hands. So therefore, I can rejoice in the Lord no matter what happens. <laughs> yes. Isaiah 26, 3, you, God, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Fixing your thoughts on the Lord, that's a decision we have to make. Are we going to fix our thoughts on our problems? That's why Billy Sunday, if you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. It's time to plug the leak, friend. Huh? Yes. Lord, we thank you this morning. As Paul was going through it, he was able to say, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens. And Lord, whatever's happening in those in this room this morning, those watching online, I pray that you will make yourself known in a very personal way to say, I'm in control. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to bail out on you. I'm going to walk you through it. Yes, we can acknowledge that life has a way of stealing joy from us. But Lord, we're asking today that, as we already mentioned, help us not to get offended, Lord. Help us not to have our feelings hurt so we walk away to try to protect ourselves. Mm. Paul is saying, I'm telling you this to safeguard your faith. Lord, this is, this is really serious stuff, to safeguard your faith. man. We recognize there's a battle raging right now in each one of our lives, a battle raging. And the enemy wants to run us over to steal our joy. And Lord, we have to, we have to commit to the simple thing that I am going to rejoice in the Lord because he's living in me. He is living in me. 
And because he's living in me, he is the source of my joy. Not circumstances, not life, not people. And I pray today, Lord, for, for life, the Life Church family that you will safeguard our faith. Lord, will you safeguard our faith? You don't hit a button to make us rejoice that we, we are left to choose that for ourselves. You provide the joy if we access it, but we've got to choose to do that. And so forgive us, Lord, if we've had our joy stolen from us. Thank you for the example of Paul that he encourages us, Lord, to cultivate that habit of rejoicing in the Lord. Help us to do that well. And we need your help to do that. And I pray once again, Lord, for every person in this room this morning. If they don't have a relationship with you, they don't know what joy is. And so, very simply, Jesus, you died on the cross for me. You, you paid my sin debt in full. You paid it all. I, I can't earn it. I can't try to be good. It'll, be never, it'll never be good enough. And so, Jesus, I'm putting all my trust in you today. You took my place. I should have been on the cross, but you took my place. You paid for my sin. And in exchange, you gave me your righteousness by taking my sin, forgiving me. And so today I put my trust in you. Lord, I do. And as your presence fills my life, fill it with your joy as well. And help me to live for you the rest of my days through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.